0: This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information on Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. It's good to be in God's house, amen? It's more than a place where individuals meet, it's a place where a corporation of people meets. We are a community of faith, and so we, we need each other. We need a neck to hug, don't we? And uh, sometimes our neck needs a hug, you know. Well, we find ourselves in the Wilderness Series. This is the second of the Wilderness Series, and we are in, uh, in the middle and we're, ta- we're in Luke chapter 4, so if you have your Bible, turn there. If you don't have one, steal your neighbor's Bible and ask for forgiveness later. Um, we're in the wilderness series, and it's nothing like being in the wilderness. The wilderness is a place where we grow, a place where we're formed, a place where our faith is formed. A place where temptation comes to us, but it's also a place where we rise up and we are filled with and empowered with the Spirit as we leave that place to go on and do the things that the Lord has said. So you can never say, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me unless you also are, have been in the wilderness and had the temptation come to your direction and, and your faith is tested. So that's where we are today. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you and to guard you carefully, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The place of the temptation is this high point, vantage point. Some place we don't know. It may be a physical place. It might be a mountaintop or some peak that, that we don't know about. But more than likely, it's a spiritual place where Jesus has the ability to, to see these visions. And the enemy takes him to this place where he has this vantage point, and he can see around him. He can see the things of this world. Perhaps perhaps in this high place, Jesus gave him this 3D vision of what the world looks like. When we see Jesus, or when we see what Jesus sees in this thing, we see that Jesus is looking at at the beautiful things of the world, the wonderful things of the world, the fine art of the world, the... uh, the, the, uh, potential in political power, the uh, golden artifacts that we see all around us, the opulent structures, the amazing uh, things that we would see in nature, the places you would go on vacation, the Taj Mahal, all these places. Jesus is seeing these wonderful works, these beautiful uh, uh, artisans, craftsmanships, the beauty of the earth. You know, and the Bible tells us that we should not love the things of the world, it's not meaning those things. Those are the beautiful things. Even the psalmist would say how wonderful that the earth was, full of the majesty and the glory of God and declaring the handiwork of God. So there's good within the world that we could see. And I'm sure that's what the enemy is showing Jesus. He's showing him these beautiful things and the wonder of the world and the power and the potential of having political opportunity to change people's lives. Can you imagine what it would be like to have politics without corruption? Yeah, me neither. But but Jesus, but Jesus could see it, you know. In that vision, the enemy was showing him to him him that he was trying to show him that he was showing him this the world, you know. He if if there was a song playing in the background while Jesus was seeing this vision, that song would be "I see leaves of green, red roses too." Right? That's what he would say. Right? And I think to my, <laughs> I think to myself, "What a wonderful world You and I've had that thought many times. Sometimes we're camping, we look up into the stars, and we just see them, the sky spattered with beauty and light, and wonder how God could be in love with a people as small and as minuscule as you and I, in the middle of all the, this earth, you know. And Jesus is looking out all, over all these wonders and saying, "Wow, you know." This is a great offer. The, the devil is offering to give me the authority over all this beauty. What what the enemy is not showing him is poverty and sickness and emptiness and peop- the suicide rate and the violence on the streets of Chicago and all these other things. You know, this reminds me of when we were in Havana, in Havana, Cuba. You, we, we came down to the waterfront in Havana and we had at the, it was so beautiful all that that the Spanish architecture is absolutely amazing and we were, we were down there and, and I have a thing about doors I don't know when I picked it up I have to have it exercised out of me or something but I, I take pictures of doors all the time I, and I, my wife will say, well, here's more doors why do you ta-? I take pictures of firehouse doors in Boston and doors in Cuba and and it makes for really boring. They're, they amaze me, and yet, because and yet, life is about doorways, right? Yeah, I'm trying to spiritualize it, but I, I just have a thing about doors. Anyway, so, uh, so I was just looking around. It was just a beautiful place, and it and, uh, was all painted wonderfully. And then if you go two blocks in from the ocean... And then it's just decrepit and impoverished and falling apart. No paint; it hasn't been painted in, I bet, 50 years. It's only two blocks in. It's just shiny on the on the surface, and I think that's kind of what the devil was doing, giving him a good sales job. We beauty sells, right? Right? When was the last time you saw a Quasimodo-like elephant man figure selling something on TV? You You never see that. You see beautiful people, and I'm sure that's what the enemy was showing Jesus. Beautiful people, beautiful things, beautiful art, beautiful palaces, beautiful opulence, all this wonderful stuff. And he was ignoring all the sickness and all the things that are in the world and the things that, that... That Jesus really came to change. He came to change all that. He's trying to to not let Jesus see that so that Jesus will go His way. And He will fall prey to the temptation. And the temptation that comes to the Son of God in this second temptation is the temptation temptation to worship Satan. Now, it really stretches my ability to believe this. At least it did, until I thought about it some. The Jesus who was, is the second person of the Trinity, the Jesus who was seated in heaven only a few short 30 years ago, Jesus who, who knows God intimately, has this vibrant prayer life, is in any way tempted to worship the devil. It's impossible for me to imagine that that's at all a temptation. Uh, and I, I'm probably in trouble when I get home because I was talking about my wife's meatloaf again in the, first, uh, in the first service. I'm not a fan of meatloaf. On Thanksgiving, no matter when, when it is, if you call me, I love turkey and dressing and all the fixings. I love all the fixings, right? And I love everything. And so I, I'm, I'm like a horse in the gate waiting for the, the, the bell to ring. I'm like a runner in the starting blocks waiting for the firing pistol On Thanksgiving, I take it as a personal challenge to eat some of everything, no matter how, and my wife can put on a spread. I mean, she puts on an amazing spread on Thanksgiving, and it's, and so I'm in the starting gates, you know, and, uh, but when she makes me, and you know, I'm on the, I'm on the, I'm on the couch, you know, ready to go. She's, my wife, she does this thing when she calls everybody to the table, she claps her hands once she goes, Okay. And as soon as the hands are clapped, I'm up like a shot and taking my position. You know, like the runners have taken place and I'm ready to go and do my, my thing there uh, and, and eat my part. And then some of other people who are slackers in the family eat some of their part too. But when she makes meatloaf, I'm less than excited. She's like, okay, come on to the table. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll be there as soon as this show's over. I mean, I'm a dutiful husband. I'll eat the meatloaf. As long as she doesn't make it too frequently, I'll eat the meatloaf. I'm not excited about meatloaf. And so, I, you know, I, I just don't go, I just don't get excited. I don't move up with a clap of the hands. moves me not a bit. And uh, so I think that Jesus can't, if I can discern the difference between meatloaf and turkey, I think Jesus can discern the difference between worshiping God and worshiping the devil. And so, ponder in my mind: What is what? In fact, is this what is what is going on here? But there are those who say that the temptations are really not the temptations that we think they are. That changing the bread into the stones into bread may not be just about Jesus feeding his own hunger, but it may also be about Jesus having bread to feed to the to the millions that are all around. I mean, we see in our world what free stuff does to people. It makes them just want more free stuff, right? And if you're the one who's giving away free stuff, well, that's a, pretty, that's a pretty solid argument to vote for Jesus, right? And make Him your Lord and King. And so it could be that. It could be that the enemy is trying to show Jesus a way to gain the authority of God over the earth. Remember, Think about this. Jesus goes to the cross... And after he goes to the cross, he's raised from the dead, and after he's raised from the dead, he comes back and he tells his disciples this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Therefore go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and tell them, you know, preach the gospel and set the captives free and, you know, make disciples of all nations and all these things that he tells us to do. Okay. So so Jesus got that authority why? Because he went to the cross. And because he went to the cross, God gave him authority, all authority in heaven and earth, right? But isn't that what the enemy is offering him here? Isn't the enemy saying to him, all authority on earth has been given to me and I'm, I'm, I can give it to whoever I want and I, I'm, I'll give it to you? And isn't he giving Jesus an, an alternate way to get authority. You can get the authority. I'll give you the authority. You just, all you have to do is worship me and, and I'll give you this, and you, you can get the authority and circumvent the cross. You can go right around the cross. No suffering, no sorrow, no piercing of your hands, no dying for mankind, no atoning blood of Jesus. You can get authority. I'll give you authority without the cross. Is that what the enemy... Now, I could see Jesus being slightly tempted to do that. In fact, that defines temptation for me. Every temptation that you and I face comes down to that. Doing it God's way or doing it somebody else's way. Every temptation comes down to doing it God's way or doing it some other way. My way or or somebody else's way that's suggesting a way to me. But, But Jesus has to determine that he will go to the cross. The Bible says that He went to the cross for the joy set before Him. Not because the cross was going to be joyful. It says He endured the cross for the joy set before Him. In other words, he, it was to, to Jesus, the cross was like meatloaf, something He had to do. Right? It was something that He had to do. Jesus didn't say, oh goody, it's almost time to crucify me. That's not what Jesus said. We never see that attitude. We see him saying to the Father, is there another way? We know that he is churned up in his soul looking for a way. Is there another way? I think maybe even the three years of Jesus' ministry, he's looking at the needs of mankind as leper after leper comes up to him as needy person, sinner, and and people who are bound up by demons are all coming up to him. Jesus is seeing the need of the mankind. We, We often think of what Jesus was doing to those people who had those needs, but We should think for a moment about what those people with those needs are doing to Jesus. They're solidifying his soul. Mankind needs someone to die for them, and I'm the only one that can do that. With every person that comes to Jesus with a need, Jesus is moved with compassion upon the people of the earth. In fact, one of the greatest emotions that we see describing Jesus is compassion. That he's moved with compassion over the crowds. He sees them as those who need a shepherd, those who need a redemption, those who need someone to watch out for their souls, someone who needs... Who need, so, so Jesus is being moved upon that. And so I think the enemy is playing upon Jesus in a sense. And, and if we can call Jesus Christ naive, and I know that's dangerous territory, he, Jesus hasn't had much time in, in ministry at this point yet. And so the hook hasn't really been set. He's offering him away. You don't have to do what the Father said. You could do it this way. Well, isn't that what happened in the garden? Did God really say? right? Isn't there an alternate way? Isn't there another way? Doesn't God do that to you? Doesn't God tell you you have to go here and it's going to be hard and it's going to be tough and you're going to have to, you're going to, have to suffer a little bit? And then doesn't the world offer you a better way? I use that in air quotes for those people who are listening online. A better way. A way without suffering. A way without hardship. A way where... But you you know and I know that there's really only one way. It's God's way. And God's way is the only way that's going to pay off for us and it's the only way that's going to pay off for the people around us. And so Jesus is being really uh, tempted to somehow get the authority over this wonderful world by going around the cross and somehow circumventing the will of God and yet still getting the the authority. Listen, I, I want to tell you this. God has authority for His people. God has blessing for His people. But it's often on the other side of hardship. It's often on the other side of a little bit of suffering. I'm not, I'm not excited about that. I don't think that's uh, very cool. I, 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 I'm not a, one of these people that likes to suffer. Oh, yes. I remember I, one time I preached, I preached this message where I just... Basically, grabbed everybody in the congregation and dangled them over the pit of hell, and you know, and tell them, you know, you know, scared them all, you know, and then told them a little bit about Jesus and kind of reeled them back in. And I remember this one girl came to me after service, and she said, "Oh, that was really good." And I was like, "That was kind of borderline abuse, to be quite honest with you. That was a was a really hard message. I don't think I should have been, been that hard, you know." Jesus is up at this high place being tempted. And so this this thing comes down and defines temptation for us. It tells us that that the enemy is offering us frequently an alternate route. You don't have to wait for that man God asks you. This one's good enough. You know how you could be blessed, the enemy will say. Stop giving to that God. That's 10% of your income right there. You just keep that, you'll be better off. An alternate way to the blessing of God. He's, dangling, he's using your devotion against you by dangling the presence and the, and the promises of God out for you. Satan is the liar, he's the tempter, he comes. And he sells us what we're looking for. He says, Jesus, you can have all this if you just worship me. He said, It's mine. It's been given to me. And I can give it to whoever I I want. And I'm listening there and I'm listening to see if Jesus is going to say, You stinking liar, devil. You don't have authority on earth to do any of this stuff, but Jesus doesn't say that. This isn't yours to give this authority. Jesus doesn't say that, which leads me to believe that that enemy isn't lying in that case. That he has authority. Why would God give all authority to the devil? Why would he do that? Well, he wouldn't. That's not the kind of a God we serve. He doesn't give that authority to the devil. Go back and we look at Genesis chapter 3 and we see the the place where the crime was committed. Genesis 3 where man falls into sin. You see, man was created to be a representative of God on the earth. He was made in God's image. That has nothing to do probably with the way we look, whether we're bearded or chubby or skinny or or whatever, it probably has more to do with the way we're to be able to act out with a dominion of God on the earth. The animals would fear us and they would be called by what we are named and we would go out into the world. Go, fill the earth and subdue it. Bring it underneath the control. Be the domineer over all the world. You are the one that's going to be, the the couple that's going to do this. I've given you authority over the entire earth. Bring it underneath your control. Subdue the earth. And temptation comes. And Adam falls prey to the temptation. And in so doing, he gives the enemy authority over the earth. And the enemy now has authority over the earth. You see, every time you and I yield to temptation, we give away our authority. Every time we yield to temptation... We yield our authority over our house, over our business, over the blessing of God, over our church, over our prayer group, over our Bible studies. We yield that when we yield, when we give in to the way of the enemy. He's trying to offer us a simpler way. We, when, we, when we fall prey to that, we yield that. And so so we, we see this is what happened with Adam and Eve. They gave Way They gave in. They, they surrendered and they gave that authority away. And at that moment, sickness and death and sorrow and corruption came into the earth. In that moment, before that time there was no sickness, now plagues and things are coming into the earth because the authority of the evil one now reigns over the earth. And the story of the Old Testament really is God trying to carve out a small group, of pla- a small place where the kingdom of God can kind of reign, where people on the earth will look and say, wait, there's blessing over in Israel, let's go over there, but mankind keeps falling, Israel keeps falling into sin, and so finally we get to the New Testament, and God sends a savior, a son, who's gonna come, and he's gonna snatch that authority back from the one who stole it away from Adam and Eve. That's the story of the gospel. That the authority would be, would be given away, but in order for him to do that, he has to go to the cross. In order for him to get that authority back, so that he can give that, so that he can just impart that authority to you, to you, so you have authority to cast out demons and heal the sick and preach the gospel and set the captives free and change lives. In order for you to get that, you have to have the authority of God that's been given to you. You have to you have to live that specific way. You have to bring yourself underneath that authority. And so God is trying to to bring this authority to to his children. And what we find here, now Jesus looking. Maybe there's an alternate way. In the Scripture, it seems like he just responds. Worship you. Scripture says, worship the Lord only. Satan doesn't say, would you worship me only? Satan just says, would you just worship me? Satan says, yeah, yeah, you can worship me and Allah and Buddha and Shinto and all the other gods on the earth. As long as you include me in your pantheon, it doesn't really make a difference. As long as you worship me, I'm not looking for exclusive worship. Not like God who says you must worship Him and Him alone. Big difference, isn't there? Big difference. You you can just include me in in your worship. In fact, you worship God still, but as long as you worship me too, and Jesus isn't falling for that. But we do sometimes. We allow other things to creep in and kind of challenge God. See, worship means to fully bow down. To prostrate yourself. I remember hearing a story a while back about a visitor to India and they were driving through the mountains. And as they were driving through the mountains, they were on a little one-lane path, little one-lane road. It was on the edge of a mountain. Go too far to the left and you go off, off the mountain and you die. And this side is a sheer rock wall. And he has given the driving to, the, to, to a hired driver, and the hired driver is driving, uh, not too fast, but driving, moving pretty good along that road. And as he's moving along that road, he's driving and w- working his way around the edge of the mountain, looking over the edge of the cliff, and the guy in the back's really nervous, and he's very, very, very tense. And then he sees, through the windshield, a big truck coming the other direction. And the driver comes to a stop. And without thinking about it, the driver puts the car in reverse. And now he's backing up down the road along the edge of the mountain. And this guy is as nervous as a cat in the back seat. He can't, he can't even get himself. Finally, he backs up over a mile down the side of the road till he finds a place where he can move to the side and let the truck pass. And once the truck had finally gone by, he asked him, how do you determine who yields to who? How do you determine... Who was there first? How do, you de- how do you determine? He said, oh, He is greater than I. You see, at some point in your life, you have to determine who's greater, you or God. we got people every day out in the world trying to fight that battle, trying to prove that they're greater than God. I'm going to tell you that's a losing battle. The Greek word for worship means to bow down completely. Worship looks kind of like this. I'll do it up here. Worship looks kind of like this. To bow yourself down before one who is greater than you. To bow down and to humble yourself. And to bow down and say, You are worthy, God. I am not. You are wise God. I am not. You are strong, God, and I am not. You are whole, and I am broken. You know all. I know very little, Lord. I surrender to you. I yield my life to you. I Worship you. Theologically, we know you become what you worship. You worship basketball players. You'll look around your house in a few years and your kids will all be dressed up like basketball players. If women in fishnet stockings turn your head, Dad, it won't belong to your child who's wearing fishnet stockings to turn your head. You become what you worship. You make a steady diet of listening to materialistic, financial improvement things. Your life will be based around money, not around spiritual things. You become what you worship and if your worship of God is impure if it's tainted I mean we live in Chicago we know how much deeply affected we can be by something as silly as a sports team right right we all know the heartbreak of having a team lose right don't get up Cubs fans I'm going back a couple years Who hasn't walked into the sanctuary of the living God bummed out because the Blackhawks or the Cubs or the Sox or the Bulls or the Bears got beat up the day before? Who hasn't? If that's something that's important to you, then then that can really affect you. I remember well, last year when the Hawks got put out in the first first, uh, uh, round of the playoffs. And I was in a funk. I had to tell myself, hey, you've seen, you know, championships in your lifetime. Suck it up, buddy. This is church, man. You're talking to God. You're talking to people about eternal things, not, not these things. They can affect us emotionally. The act of life and living is really just take, take, taking the things off the top shelf and leaving that alone for God. Let God alone be on the top shelf. All the days of your life. And you're not, if you're not careful, stuff will find its way up there, things that you think are important. You know, pretty soon you're, you can't come to church because you have to go to the house down by the lake, you know, because boating and swimming and fishing is important for you. You, you know, or, or you, you start making excuses not to be in the presence of the Lord because you, other things have crept in. And you ha- part of life is, is like saying, hey, you don't belong on the top shelf. You're on shelf number five and you are on shelf number three used to be a Christian song where the guy celebrated his relationship with his wife and he would say, I'm so glad to have her as number two in my life. (laughs) Because ladies, that's as close as you're going to get to being number one. Because God's number one in our life as a Christian man. So in our life, we have to bring ourselves to the place where we bow. That means stuff happens that we're not happy about. Things are demanded of us that we don't like to have happen. And, and, and yet we have to keep on pursuing. The openness in Satan's worship seems almost more welcoming. And every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will recognize this. I went to church with Wes Hamilton. Uh, Wes Hamilton played for the Minnesota Vikings. And I used to sit behind him pretty frequently. I don't know why. It was just the way... People are creatures of habit, and he would sit where he sat, and I would sit where I sat, and and Wes was a, just a hulk of a human being. His neck was like a tree trunk in front of me. I would, you know, have to look around like this around to see the preacher because he was just a massive guy, you know. And I was a little skiddy hippie with long hair, sitting right behind him, you know. And and I would, you know, look, and, and when he would stand up. And worship God. He'd lift up those big, giant arms of his, you know. Stand up his big, wide chest, you know. As he'd stand up, lift his hands up like this, he would eclipse the sun in the place. It would be like I would just, I would be in the shadow of darkness there as as, as he, he would praise the Lord. And I would think, you know, isn't it amazing? No matter how big and how strong you are, you got to know when to back your little car up and recognize, He is greater than I. He is greater than I. And in our, in our worship, sometimes Wes, God would move upon Wes. You know, I'd see him swaying. I was like, this is so weird to see. That. I mean, I understand. I'm a hippie. I, you know, I, I don't even care what I do. I got Maranatha embroidered on my jeans. But he's 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 up there, this big guy. I, I don't know what what they made back then, but I'm sure it was a lot of money, you know. And, and he's up there humbling himself just like every other one of us. Because it does... In fact, I, from... From his Wikipedia post, uh, the, the post about him today, he's still serving the Lord up in Minnesota. Doing great works of charity up there. God bless him. Him and his big old neck. See, worship is a place where we equalize ourselves. The foot of the cross is level ground. No matter how much money you all have or how much... Uh, or what ethnicity you are, or what neighborhood you came from, or what kind of car you drive. The foot of the ground of the cross is, is level ground at the foot of the cross. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We have to determine how we will worship. It may mean it may be harder to live for Christ. You know, a lot of times we sell. We we preachers are like salesmen. Sometimes we'll tell you the good stuff and kind of leave the other stuff. for it may be harder to live for Jesus than it is to live in the world. I, I haven't found that to be true in my own life. It may be harder, you know. Uh, it's certainly harder to do it on a long-term basis than giving in to the things of, the, of this world. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't make a difference. There's only one person who can get me all the way down on my knees with my face to the ground. I like to think that if you held a gun to my head, and told me to prostrate myself before you and to worship you, that I'd rather die than do that. But if God, in his glory, for one second, shone in this place, I'd be on my knees faster than you could possibly imagine. I'd have my face buried in the carpet so quick, Because I know who I am. And I know how big I am. Compared to his greatness. We sing that song sometimes. He's the great I am. He's God Almighty. We use those words. We don't even recognize what we're saying. He's Almighty. That means he's more powerful than you. We spend our lives trying trying to perfect one speck, one facet, one small thing in life. Even if you're a teacher and you go for your master's degree and your PhD and you specialize in teaching, you're just, you're just perfecting that one portion of life. If you're a mechanic and you, you go through all the schooling and you become a, a mechanic to work on combustion engines, you to have a good mechanic is a great thing. I, don't, don't get me wrong, I like a good mechanic, but... He may not even know anything about diesel motors. He may be completely specialized in just the the gas engine. We specialize in little chunks of life. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God knows everything and knows all about the all different kinds of places and facets of life that we live in. It's not hard for me to back my car up when I see that massive almighty God coming down the road towards me. Jesus rebukes him. Worship God and worship Him alone. This morning I want to challenge you and ask you a very simple question. How's your life of worship? You don't need songs for worship. It's nice to have them. You don't need instruments. It's nice to have them. But sometimes that can encumber us. It may be, may be hindering us. We may be singing and not worshiping. We need to bring ourselves to a place where we worship God and worship Him alone. If we can bring ourselves to that place, we will find a way to that authority. You see, authority comes to Jesus by who he chooses to worship. It may not be easy, but it's God's way. And if we can do that, God can change us forever and change the world forever. Amen? Will you bow your head with me? Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.burwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.